Hi, I'm Mike Phil. I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Generic Ad. Join us every Wednesday as we talk about films that seem to be forgotten by audiences, whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the film, maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. You never know, you might find your own forgotten gem. Forgotten Cinema is available wherever you get your podcasts or at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are a proud part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. I swear I talk more in the episodes. Hello there. I'm Colleen. And I'm Anders. We're nerds who love science fiction and fantasy stories. So of course we love Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet just can't get enough of, especially Grogu when he's jumping, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So each episode we journey to a galaxy far, far away to discuss what's new in the Star Wars canon and beyond. This is yet another Star Wars podcast. Yes, and today we are excited to share our reactions and theories for The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 6. Are, the we, epi- are we excited? <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. There are things to be excited about here, all right? I agree. Staying yeah. positive for the mm-hmm. most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, the episode was written by John Favreau, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. We've absolutely loved all of her previous work on this series and Book of Boba Fett, so we were really stoked going into this. Mm-hmm. This is serving as your official spoiler warning for this episode and all things Star Wars. So if you're ready, grab a drink from your droid bartender. Maybe get some 30 weight. I don't know. (laughs) The good stuff. And get ready to rumble as we discuss The Mandalorian Chapter 22, Guns for Hire. Colleen, you ready to punch it? Um, You know, just a sec. I gotta find my knighting sword. It's very important. It is very important. And it is a real sword. It is a real sword. It is not a lightsaber, folks. It is a sword. Yes, it's not even a fiber blade. <laughs> just no, a sword. Just a regular sword. <laughs> yep. All right. So let's get started here. The episode starts off with both former Mandalorians, now under the leadership of Axe Wolves, coming upon a Quarren freighter. The Quarren tries to kind of like bribe, sweet talk his way out of this. He thinks that he's being come upon by Imperials because they're still in that light cruiser. Mm-hmm. but the axe is having none of it. He's like, sorry, we've been hired to return a Mon Calamari that is on board, despite the fact that he's there completely of his own free will, and he has run off to marry this corn captain. Yeah, this is like a star-crossed lovers situation. I thought it was adorable, because she's obviously older, so get it, girl. And he's royalty of some kind. Get it, girl, again. <laughs> For real. <laughs> <laughs> so... I liked the cold open a lot. I did too. I really, really liked it. This is something we don't get to see very often, especially with a bunch of alien species. This felt like a Clone Wars episode in a good way. Yes. Like that could definitely have happened. On the I liked how Axe was also like, yeah, I know, man, this sucks, but hey, we're getting, we're getting paid to do this. What happens after we drop them off is totally up to you. Yeah, exactly. You can go back and get them. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. We got paid, so it's fine. All right, so after this cold open, we cut back to Bo, Din, and Grogu coming to the planet Plazor 15. They're brought to the Duchess and her new husband, who is a product of the Amnesty Program, and both of them have hired the Mandalorians as security for the planet. So the Mandalorians are parked outside the city limits. They can't come in because they won't leave their weapons, I assume. No, they're not allowed. The city is not allowed to have... They had to hire the Mandalorians because mm-hmm. of There's no weapons. <laughs> because they're not allowed to have a standing army of their own because mm. the Duchess's husband is a former Imperial. So Fair. under the Coruscant Accords. Under the Accords. 
Um, he's not allowed to have an army under his command, which mm-hmm. fair. And then also the city rules prohibits the any army from actually entering the city itself. So they have to camp outside. Yep. They're just tailgating. Yep. Just tailgating out in a field nearby. Everything's fine. <laughs> Before they're allowed to go to the camp, however, Bo and Din are asked if they will help the city out of a problem with some malfunctioning droids. They ultimately agree, even though they're like, what the fuck is this side quest? We don't have time for this. And we get a classic Clone Wars style detective story. Bowen did meet the head security officer. Then they have a drink with some Ugnaughts, and they're able to predict where the next malfunction will occur. This leads them to the cargo area, where after Din kicks for real, Healy's having way too much fun in this, getting to abuse these poor droids. He kicks a few B2s. One of them eventually goes nuts, and we get a really fun chase sequence. I did like this part. Very Blade Runner. Yeah. Their investigation ultimately leads them to a droid bar. Droid bar. This place slaps. <laughs> I would totally go there. <laughs> I don't think they have anything for you. That's fine. I'll just go for the the vibe. Mm-hmm. It seemed really cool in there. <laughs> Where they discover that the malfunctioning droids all imbibe the same batch of this maintenance fluid Nepenthe, which is not only kind of acts as like a, a lubricant oil, it also has like little micro like programming beads or something in it to deliver like software updates. Mm-hmm. Which, Which, that's cool. a really cool bit of world building. I liked it. Yeah. So in the lab, they find out that this tainted fluid is laced with nanodroids Oopsies. that can reprogram the host droid. Mm-hmm. Nanodroids that were in fact purchased by Security Commissioner Hellgate. Great name. We met earlier and Fantastic. showed us Chekhov's <laughs> droid button. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Chekhov's things in this episode. <laughs> yes. Uh, so they confront him and he comes straight out and admits it. He's like, yep. And he's outs himself as a separatist. Before... He really is all for Count Dooku. <laughs> he really... he is. He's a Dooku head. He is he's a about Dooku to go stand. on a nice little he's about to go on a nice little villain monologue but Bo tases him. <laughs> Just like, politics. Fuck yeah. that. Mm. <laughs> uh, he's then turned over to the Duchess. Says, you know, I did what I did. And she's like, alright, well, until you can possibly earn our forgiveness you're exiled to the moon yeah mm-hmm. goodbye dr smith yes <laughs> goodbye. then i'm i can only presume it was because he helped her cheat at space palmal the duchess pulls out a sword and knights grogu yeah absolutely no reason for this it's <laughs> like okay i guess because he's cute <laughs> yeah which, I mean, she's a duchess. She can do what she wants. But still, I was like, really? This is where we're going with this episode? Oh, so many zany, crazy things happened. I was not prepared. Not at so, all. So, at the very end of our episode, we get to, like, some more meat and potatoes of the plot. Bo and Mando are granted permission to visit the Mandalorian camp, where Bo challenges Axe for leadership. After she wins, this was a pretty cool fight. I liked the use this of the jet Axe. And all of the Mandalorian kind of tools that they have at their disposal. Jin reveals that, in fact, she's also the rightful owner of the Darksaber after the fight with the spider cyborg on Mandalore. We're going to talk about this a lot later because I am annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) Axe, Bows, and the rest of the Mandalorians agree, and Bo takes the weapon. That final shot was very cool. Loved, loved that final shot. Mm -hmm. It looks like it looked like it was where it belonged. Yes. She holds yes, it the with dark confidence. Saber is finally happy. Yes. 
<laughs> she can hold it in one hand. I think that's huge. Din had to like hold it with two hands. Mm-hmm. Like he was wielding a broadsword. And it's like, no, my guy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. We're going to head into our reactions, favorite moments for the episode. I was not expecting this at all. So I think it kind of was a curveball that hit some points that were really good, but then other points was a little disjointed, I think, for us. I enjoyed it, especially Bo and Din playing good cop, bad cop. I thought that was great. Bo does so well when she has a sounding board, like somebody to work with, like her and Ahsoka. Hysterical. I love them. They should have, like their own stuff to do together but it also seemed to like meander when the season should be heading into the finale at full speed like this was a dead stop absolute dead stop for the plot i didn't really understand the narrative need for two things which we're going to talk about later this after this episode grogu leaving din with luke din getting back the lightsaber those two huge things that happened at the end of season two just like narratively i know what you're trying to do but this is like you missed an entire season of television where what happens with Grogu and Luke should have happened and with Din and the Darksaber should have happened and we didn't get any of that. <laughs> so it's like the flow just wasn't sharp enough for me there. And I know people are like, it's fine. It's fine. But I really wanted it to be crisp. And we'll chat a little bit about this later, like whether these were kind of important plot points or whether they could have been discarded. How about you, Anders, your reaction? <laughs> So for me, I mean, we've talked a lot this season. We talked a lot about on our Bad Batch coverage about the way that that show in particular, and we were worried about it in on this show a little bit, the balance, right? Kind of, I've, I've been worried all season about kind of that like tipping point into the, the more goofy and, and losing some of the kind of serious tones to the show and you there are ways goofy yeah there are ways to pull that stuff off and a couple of them in this episode work pretty well and some of them just don't and i think the balance is the balance was just all over the place here this episode was just all over you know i really liked the last 10 minutes i liked the scenes out in the mandalorian camp uh i i do have questions about (laughs) You know, the dark saber. And I I don't have a problem with this whole like transitive propertiness of it. Um that was something that a lot of that a, that a lot of that was something a lot of people called when it happened on that, mm-hmm. that fight on Mandalore. I just think that then he should have given it to her then. It would have actually had impact and weight there. Yeah. And then I really liked, you know, I loved the chase sequence. I liked the look of all the droids in there. And I think that they were introducing some kind of cool ideas about maybe like droid uprising and stuff but that just didn't go anywhere i was really hoping for a droid uprising or Instead some of being kind like of... we're fine serving people i'm like no or some kind of like upper echelon of society versus the bowels like seeing both we saw we saw those in andor done very mm-hmm. well and it looked phenomenal and here it just wasn't that great right you know we and I mean, we'll, we could talk about them now. The cameos, or the, not even the cameos, the, the supporting cast here. So the Duchess is played by Lizzo. Her mm-hmm. husband is Jack Black. And Commissioner Hellgate is Christopher Lloyd. Yes. Love Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. Thought he did Love a pretty Jack damn Black. good job. Love, Love Jack Black. <laughs> Love Lizzo. 
but just no. I'm sorry. It, they they just didn't work. Jack, like maybe on his own, could have pulled this off. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Lizzo, talented musician, mm-hmm. big Star Wars fan, and I don't begrudge yes. her this opportunity at all. Like, oh hell no, Lucasfilm like, calls you and says, "Hey, do you want to do you want to roll on the Mandalorian?" You say mm-hmm. yes. Yes, yes, I do. But I felt like she she was like acting like she was in an SNL sketch. Yes, that's what it felt like. I felt like. It could have been more balanced. Like you said, it could have been more balanced if Lizzo and Jack Black's characters were acting this like jovial kind of artificial happiness. And then when yeah. they finally get Bo and Din alone and are like, okay, you guys, some real serious shit's going down here. And like their persona changes so mm-hmm. that their kind of wacky out exterior would have made sense. Right. But instead it was like the whole way through it was this. Yeah, it was this. And then it just, this idea of like these kind of like very well known actors, like having these parts on these shows, like sometimes it works. Tim Meadows did a pretty damn good job. He did, but he was in a very small part. He was in a very small part. And yeah, these work better with these much more well well known faces as like background, background players. Like mm-hmm. if they were in the episode, but they were, you know, they were just like guests at the dinner table. Right. Or something like that. I don't know. My personal recasting for this, I would have cast Aisha Tyler as the Duchess and Matt Berry from what we do in the shadows and the Jack Black part. Yeah. Such great characters <laughs> or actors. I love both of them. Yeah. I and think... now that you say it, I'm angry that we didn't get it. <laughs> uh, I will say the costuming was really good. I loved Lizzo's her hair piece, the, the dress, the mm-hmm. kind of like digital, like hollow effect behind the behind her it was giving off very high duchess of team vibes yes i i enjoyed what they were trying to do i was like okay i get what they're trying to do they're pointing out another amnesty program person who probably has succeeded um which is good like to know that an amnesty person can succeed but Mm -hmm. he succeeded because he fell in love with the duchess and is now rich (laughs) yes he pretty much is doing great like there were several times they just kept like bringing up the the people voted, the people voted, the people voted, but they yeah. didn't go anywhere. Right, right. It was like, okay, do um, we believe you, or doth the lady much protest too much? Yeah. Like, still some good stuff from um, and I'm giving the credit to to Bryce Alice Howard in this episode. Mm-hmm. She does these really great establishing shots where the camera is a little bit lower, and it just gives this amazing idea of scope. Yeah. And immersion in the world, which was really good. There were a few of those. The action mm-hmm. set pieces were really yeah. great. The chase sequence with the B2 yeah. through the, the dark streets was very good. Yes. So things I liked about this episode, but it just, it, those other scenes, they were just, the it was jarring. Yeah. They felt unnecessary and nothing should ever feel unnecessary. Right. Like when you're writing a story... Pretty much everything you write is necessary in some way, shape, or form. And it just didn't feel they they either didn't go far enough or I, that's where like I they land. Were, they didn't go far afraid. enough. They didn't go far enough with the craziness. Or they should have pulled back. <laughs> like mm-hmm. or done something else with the storyline. Um, my favorite moment, love the last shot of Bo with the dark saber. I said that. And then I loved Din chatting up the Ugnats. That was awesome. Being, being like, I knew Quill. He was a friend of mine. And they were like, what? 
And then they friends. all were just sitting. Yeah, exactly. Friends, what? And they all were just like sitting and chatting together. And he's like, you just have to know how to speak to them. <laughs> like, this is what Din is actually pretty good at when he tries. Right. Is a little bit of diplomacy with people who probably didn't see diplomacy. He needs to work on that with the droids. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he was really good with the Agnads. I very much liked that. How about you? I mean, I just, I really liked those last 10 minutes. Um, I liked, I loved the challenge mm-hmm. from Bo. Uh, that fight was really great. And I like her fine. I liked finally seeing her get the Darksaber. I, there was very little doubt in my mind that this is where the Darksaber was going to end up. Oh yeah, for sure. But it was still, it was still really great to see her finally get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. sorry, I'm jumping back a little bit. One more reaction piece. Oh no, you're good. Uh, uh, and that is, I still have absolutely no idea why Hellgate did what he did. <laughs> like, I, I would guess, yeah, he needed more development. My guess was that he was like this seasoned commander and protector of this planet. And then new guy busts in, takes over, seduces the Duchess. And he was like given a, a lesser role, maybe. But he's like, he starts talking about, like, he starts talking about, you know, Dooku was a visionary and, you know, mm-hmm. people need to rule themselves, but the planet is a straight up democracy. So you, right. you, you did the thing, my guy. Yeah, exactly. I guess it just didn't get done the way he wanted. Yeah. <laughs> it It felt very weird. Like the motivations were very strange. It felt like a stage play. <laughs> like half of the episode felt like a stage play. Mm-hmm. And the rest was like, okay, this is actually the Mandalorian plotline. Like people were complaining about the Pershing episode being an episode of Andor sandwiched in between episodes of Mando. But this I felt was way more jarring. Yeah. And the Pershing episode very... I liked a oh, lot. I loved, yeah, I loved that episode. This one, it's like, an entirely different show mixed in like not even like an entirely different universe like i told you this felt like doctor who to me it de- yeah it did it, like way it had... more in that kind of energy yeah i was you you said that and i was uh flashing back to when you started watching doctor who at my behest <laughs> check out our uh, bohemian geek, geek studies episode on that one but mm-hmm. you were like you like owe me something for not revealing how goofy this show is <laughs> yes oh my god the farting aliens were too much i i fully expected an alien to start farting at that dinner table yeah i was like if this is where we're going let's just go for it <laughs> so yes they need to bring balance back to the force yes please <laughs> <laughs> anyway moving on now into our easter eggs connections callbacks uh we start off with those repurposed battle droids which are new mm-hmm. to, now doing these kind of like menial tasks throughout the city Kind of answering a question that's been in the back of our minds for a while. Like, we know that the battle droids all got the shutdown command at the close of the Clone Wars, but it, thank God they're not just rotting in a junkyard somewhere. Right. Like, like the clones will be soon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the idea that the battle droids were then repurposed for kind of like civic tax, like trash pickup, is actually something that was introduced in Lego Star Wars Droid Tales. C3PO is on Coruscant and sees a bunch of B1s <laughs> yep. <laughs> picking up trash. And it also kind of made me think of the 1.0 versions of the Starfleet Emergency Medical Hologram on Star Trek Voyager. 
There's an episode there where you find out that after these big upgrades to the 2.0 version, all the 1.0s were repurposed to do like mining work in some toxic areas that organic beings can't go down. Mm, what a life. Yep. <laughs> then thankfully they get access to, you know, to the to books and knowledge. Yeah. And you think, and it's planting a seed for a rebellion there that we also never get to see. <laughs> yeah. That's another pod to talk about Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> I could bitch and moan about Star Trek Voyager for a really long time. I loved Voyager. I loved the show. Also, my also just a really great ship. Yes, the ship is great. The cast had so much potential, mm-hmm. and then. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we also get in this the droid bar, which. You know, apart from just containing a ton of different varieties of droid types, we get astromechs, we get protocol droids, we get everything in between. The mm-hmm. scene is a pretty direct callback straight to the Tatooine Cantina, mm-hmm. um, which the Mandalorian also confirmed is currently actually run by and for droids. The bartending droid here, I thought this was interesting, is actually played by Seth Gable, who is Bryce Dallas Howard's husband. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Like, honey, can I go <laughs> That reminds me of Last of Us. Melanie Linsky's husband got to go, and I think he got to be a clicker. I on know set. That. Jason Ritter, mm-hmm. which is hysterical. I'm like, of course, he wanted to be a clicker. Duh. It's like, I want to hang out with my wife. <laughs> but not in a weird way, except I get to be in, like, full body prosthetics. I just think that's really fun that they get to bring in their loved ones. But like you said before, with guest stars, they're in a very minor role. <laughs> yes. And Star Wars has done that before. Like, mm-hmm. You find out that um, what's his name is, you know, Simon Pegg under all that makeup or, yes, mm-hmm. you know, Justin Thoreau in uh, Last Jedi. Yeah. Just like a blink and you'll miss it. But you're like, hey, mm-hmm. hey George Lucas, mm-hmm. he was in a yeah. background. Because they're like, George, you can't act. We're putting you in some makeup and putting you in the scene. Okay. Speaking of famous family members, the Mon Calamari in the episode opening is played by none other than Harry Holland, which is adorable. And I am all for this brother to Spider-Man himself, Tom Holland. Now I thought the Prince might be the Mon Calamari nobleman's son who had a bounty on him from season one, but this has not been confirmed. I thought that it would be really cool. It would be a really fun callback. All the way to season one. We only saw a hollow of that Mon Calamari. And Grief said that he was a bail jumper. So we're not sure exactly. But I think that would be hysterical. If this kid has been like bouncing around the galaxy. (laughs) (laughs) They never (laughs) actually got married. I know. So sad. So I'm hoping they get to get married. And then next, the Corrin Captain in the opening is played by Christine Adams. Possibly best known for her role on the CW's Black Adam. And I loved her. I don't really know why we needed her getting a fish in the beginning. That was a cool, that was, I liked that. Like, it was interesting. I like that they have the water tanks because the corn and Moncal have to have water. Otherwise mm-hmm. they dry out. So that was really cool to get to see that. The fish, yeah. I was like, okay. This is it. <laughs> and then we get uh, the planet Trask gets a shout out in this episode. Uh, that was the setting for the episode in season two, The Heiress, which was also directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. Mm-hmm. Also, and that, there's a lot of water people in that episode. Yep, some really great sweaters. 
cable knit fishing sweater on that long haul, Mari. <laughs> Still think about that. Yep. <laughs> Uh, and then we have several returning Mandalorians. We have Cosca Reeves is back, played by Mercedes Fernando. Mm-hmm. And uh, also back is Axe Woes, who's played by Simon Cassianides. Axe was not in the Mandalorian season two finale. Mm-hmm. And Katie Sackhoff has said that there is a story reason for that. So my guess is that he was plotting a coup. Yeah. It seems like he was like with the other Mandalorians that were waiting for her to come back with a Darksaber. Mm-hmm. And they were like, if you don't come back with the Darksaber, we're going to leave. <laughs> that at least is what I can kind of guess was happening in the yeah. background there. I wish we actually got to see that. <laughs> There's so many things that I wish we got to see for these shows. Okay, next we have the Duchess, played here by the musician Lizzo. She gives off the major Duchess Satine vibes, the costuming and the hair, the kind of opulence that Padme also used to do. Uh, her new husband, played by Jack Black. He is a product of the New Republic Amnesty Program. His name is Bombardier, which is great. Like, there, I love that he's called Bombardier. For like, for <laughs> great names in this episode. Very, very Star Wars. She also knights Grogu on behalf of the Ancient Order of Independent Regencies. This is the first mention of this in Star Wars, but is likely related to the system of elder houses discussed in Bloodline, of which Leia is a part. Yes. Then we have Christopher Lloyd coming in as Hellgate, making him Hellgate. one of the just yeah, making him one of the very few actors to appear in both Star Wars and Star Trek. That is crazy that mm-hmm. he's in both of them. He's in one of the movies for Star Trek, right? Is he in three? Yeah. Search for Spock. Yes, he's a Klingon, I think. Yeah, yeah. I have not <laughs> I seen, seen those movies in a really long time. I haven't seen those in a very long time, <laughs> especially uh, the odd number ones. <laughs> Then we have these dome cities. Now, this kind of glass dome city looked really cool in the wide shots. And it is a little ironic that the Mandalorians aren't allowed to enter the dome city as their home world of Mandalore was once pretty much completely covered in them. Yep. Whoopsies. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Can't come in. <laughs> nope. You can't sit with us. Yeah, you can't sit with us. Wednesdays, we wear pink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then this episode was just full of kind of Clone Wars callbacks. Um not only the show, but also just that era of the story. Like the prequels, we get mentions of the Techno Union army. Count Dooku gets a called out with his vision and the idea in that was explored in Clone Wars of kind of the non-Dooku separatists who were like, we just actually like the idea of governing ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We mentioned a little bit the, the structure of the episode with its kind of detective storyline. Then we also get another cameo from Matthew Wood, who's the shipyard manager who just wants his droids to be left alone. He -hmm. is the voice of General Grievous and plays Bib Fortuna in Book of Boba Fett. And what I'm guessing is a shout out to the kind of fan reaction to the prequels when Bo shoots uh, Christopher Lloyd. She dismissively just goes, politics. No ticket. (laughs) 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 And Den's like, oh, yeah, I hate that. Yeah. I hate politics. Magistry shot him and said, ugh, taxation of trade routes. Oh my god, I would have been totally <laughs> You know who could pull off a line like that? Katie Saka. <laughs> she really could. Oh my god, it would be so good. Okay, this part I did like around the kind of like Mad Hatter's tea party and the Paul Mall slash bocce ball that we had later. Aliens! We get more background aliens in this episode, including more frog people. And the Ugnats, there was a Bith, 
there was a lot of different aliens around that dinner table. Mm -hmm. I very much enjoyed that. Love seeing aliens. Love seeing the costuming and the prosthetics for aliens, too. Yeah, I love fun. I love that sort of stuff. It was just, it was, that part was really good. I'm like, give us more of this. Like, <laughs> uh, fine. <laughs> so then our last one is the fully democratic society. I'm always worried when people call themselves democratic. <laughs> <laughs> this is the people's democratic. I'm like, whoa, hold up here. <laughs> Are we? Are we really democratic? So this planet's leaders make it a point to continuously point out that the people have voted for them. This is reminiscent of a recurring planet on the Orville, which is a fully direct democracy where the entire population voted on everything, which can be a good idea, but usually is not. Yeah, like, that uh, that uh, the Orville had to resort to misinformation. Yeah. <laughs> like manipulating the vote. Yeah, it just it was not, not good. Not good. <laughs> okay, so next we're going to move into the two discussion points that I... I'm having an issue with with the season of Mandalorian basically starting from the end of season two, going into the book of Boba Fett and ending up in season three, Grogu leaving Din for Luke. This could have been really interesting and cool, but we really have no idea how long he was with Luke. Pretty much. We got everything in book of Boba Fett with Luke and Grogu. It was very short. It felt like it was rushed. Like John Favreau has said, it was over a year, almost two years that he was with Luke. So we didn't get, I didn't think that. I was like, was he there like two months? Yeah. Really did not feel like he was there that long. Yeah, a week, maybe. We didn't get enough time with Din alone, missing Grogu, realizing that he just wants to be a dad. Like, what a better way to get people to love your character than to have this, like, erstwhile father missing his child that he willingly gave up to try and give him a better life i would have been all here for that (laughs) but we don't get that he immediately gets the little guy back at least that's how it felt narratively because they didn't tell us it had been this long yeah so then basically what was the point of grogu going with luke at all especially since he felt like such an accessory this season it felt like he was kind of shoehorned in a bunch of times instead of being like any character really or driving force in the plot what what do you think Anders yeah I think the only real reason for having him go with Luke is to just kind of it's it's an excuse for him to kind of level up power wise Mm -hmm. for him to be more mobile for him to more actively use the force to actually get to sit you know that he actually did receive some training yes very little amount of training (laughs) that we saw yeah that we saw like yeah i i mean i'm it's tough i'm on record the the idea of having such an important piece of the plot on book of boba fett was just a huge mistake it is the it is it makes book of boba fett essential to understand the mandalorian yes which is not what you should be doing with with, even when these shows are interconnected like they do need to be able to stand on their own well, and it's not fair to book a Boba Fett. No. Like, what the hell? There was a hell of a lot more great stuff we could have done on Boba Fett. Like crime. Yes. So much more crime. <laughs> the first couple episodes, we've talked about this. The first yes. couple episodes of Mando could have been the last couple episodes of Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. Like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's just a frustrating 
narrative choice that was made. I don't know how much like Disney higher ups had in that decision making. It's hard to say. Favreau has kind of made it seem like it was mostly him. Right. That's what he says. But then it's like, did you really think about this though? <laughs> Just to... Especially when he says they don't know like their end point. That's also a little worrying. Which I'm fine with. I'm fine with not knowing your end point because I think this season has been more serialized mm-hmm. than than the first two were and i think that we can especially with you know our next discussion point the dark saber back in mm-hmm. bo's hands you know we can kind of get back to din and grogu can go off and have their their adventures of the week right. because they're not they don't if a Bo is ruling mandalore then din doesn't have to be stuck on mandalore in charge Exactly. Which is what he didn't want. He just wants to be a dad. Like, he wants to be a Mandalorian and support Mandalorians and be a dad. Mm -hmm. It's basically what he wants to do. And like you said, my second point, Din getting the Darksaber, what was the point? It's like, it just frustrates me so much. Din's use of the Darksaber was basically all in Book of Boba Fett again. Hardly any of it in Season 3 of Mando. Like, we saw a little bit, but not much. We just saw him struggling. There was no training montage like there was in Book of Boba Fett, where it seemed like he had gotten a little bit more comfortable with the blade, but then all of a sudden he couldn't use it again in Season 3 of Mando. It was just kind of confusing and also a little discouraging, because he treated the saber like it was a burden to be ignored instead of something like a weapon that he could use. He just kind of had it. (laughs) <laughs> with him it was luggage it got treated like luggage at one point <laughs> what didn't treated it like it's like i i get that he wants to get rid of it or that he doesn't like to use it because he can't really use it but then it really makes his winning it really arbitrary and pointless it didn't advance his character in any way he stayed the same way he he has not changed it just was mainly a barrier in Bo's way so, like, Bo is more the Mandalorian of this season. Like, the title, Mandalorian, is more Bo. It just, it feels disjointed again. It felt very useless again. <laughs> <laughs> like, what what was the point of doing this? What do you think about this choice? Like, I think the point was, in fact, to, it's a couple of things. Number one, probably when he got it, they weren't 100% sure if Bo was going to end up with it in the end. And then they decided that late enough that we have to kind of like write around it for a little bit mm-hmm. and then that's what it felt like writing around it yeah writing around and the issue i'm okay <laughs> with with din never really getting the hang of it i'm okay with him actually ignoring it because mm-hmm. i think that tells you a lot about him but again i yes. think if he wanted to get rid of it so bad he could have done it two ups like two episodes ago immediately when <laughs> when she technically won it yeah I, like I said, I don't have a problem with like this being the kind of roundabout, some people call it a loophole way of her being able to claim she won it in combat. I mean, those, rules, those rules are yeah. deliberately written vague so that they can suit whatever yeah. plot, <laughs> whatever plot mechanics right. are needed in the moment. Like this just, yeah. that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's something I accept. I would have liked if Din, I don't think Din is like very, is clever enough for this, 
but he would have known Bo wouldn't take it from him after the spider incident. So he was waiting for a chance to give it to her where they had an audience where she basically had to take it. <laughs> I don't think Din is smart enough to do that. But no, he's not. I think that would be a reasonable excuse for them mm-hmm. not, for Din not to give it to her because he took it back immediately. Like yeah. no qualms whatsoever. He just took it. And then, you know, Gideon said that the power is not necessarily in the blade itself. The power is in the story. So right. doing it in this more public space mm-hmm. does give the story a little bit more gravitas. Yes. I don't have... I. Some people are like, well, why didn't they just... Why didn't Bo just lie? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm... No. She, she doesn't. She's she not a liar. She wouldn't. And Din wouldn't really either. I don't he think. He's, he's got too much. He's got too much honor for to lie <laughs> right. about something like that. Yeah. And Bo's never been a liar. Yeah. It's just not who she is. She was a terrorist. Yes. But not a liar. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. I'm just hoping they chuck that dark saber into a lake. Maybe. I think the mythosaur should actually eat it. <laughs> like Bo Bo comes charging out of the uh pool underground and the mythosaur eats the dark saber and we're all happy and never poops it out. It just stays in the mythosaur. <laughs> I just don't like an Excalibur. I'm sorry everyone. I just don't. It looks cool, but no. Okay. We're going to head into our final questions and predictions. Um I'm excited for the final two episodes a lot because at the panel during celebration they were like this is going to get crazy i'm like okay i'm ready i'm ready for crazy i hope it's one big finale i think it will be Bo is the dark saber i don't trust the armor i have a bad feeling she's going to turn on Bo eventually whether it's this Definitely. season or next season kind of has to be seen i think we're going to see gideon in these last two episodes also possibly in a secret beskar mine on mandalore like, maybe that's why the TIE Fighters were there, is because they still have a presence there. It's possible that Gideon would have people mining Beskar. I don't know exactly how probable it is, but it's a possibility. It's a possibility. I really want to get, like, a Sabine reference in mm-hmm. these last couple episodes. Doesn't have to be a full-on appearance. House Wren, just say House Wren. Yeah, something like some kind of reference to House Wren. My worry in these last two episodes is so they've been talking for the last episode or so about how we're going to take back Mandalore. And my question is, who do you think you're taking it back from? Cause as far as we know, you thought it was a toxic wasteland until right. like last yeah. week. Take it back from nature. <laughs> yeah. Like who are you taking it back from? And then we're suddenly going to be in like a briefing where they're like describing, all right, we're going to, we're going to assault this, uh, the secret Imperial base that we've all been aware of the entire time. And I'm just going to be like, no, you weren't (laughs) like, can we not yada yada that part? (laughs) That's just it. I don't want them to yada yada it because it feels like that's what they did with Grogu and Luke and with the damn dog. (laughs) So I'm a little worried that they're going to yada yada that part about discovering who is actually behind the scenes controlling Mandalore. Right. I'm going to be so happy when I'm proven wrong on that front. So. Yes, please have like, (laughs) Carson Teva find it or something. Have him yeah. be like something's fishy in the state of Mandalore and go down there and find it. <laughs> Have somebody find it, please. Yes. Uh, but I do think that these are going to be very, very visually just delights. Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm guessing a lot of the budget is going to go to the finale. Mm-hmm. And I think that they are going to look phenomenal and the action is going to be absolutely unparalleled. 
I'm ready. I'm ready. We've gotten past Pirate King Gorian Shard. We've gotten past Jack Black and Lizzo. <laughs> Dream Team. Now it's finally time for some Mando, like, actually fighting well. <laughs> I'm ready for the Mandalorians to not look like Mora. <laughs> I guess the ones that are with Axe will be, like, more Night Owl-y will be better at combat in general. Especially yeah. coordinated combat. I think that's kind of where the Covert doesn't excel as well. They're just not they're not a band of brothers. Let's put it that way. <laughs> not <laughs> they're not yet. a coordinated unit. Not yet. We could still get there. Mm-hmm. Okay, do you have anything else? No, I think that's it for tonight. Okay. We're on Gideon Watch. That's basically what we're doing. We're waiting for Giancarlo Esposito to grace us with his glorious presence yet again. <laughs> okay. That's going to be it for us today, you guys. Thanks so much for joining us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at YASWpod. Follow us wherever you're getting your podcasts. Hit that follow button. You can check out our previous episodes on the main Star Wars films and other great Star Wars content. And we're going to be getting a whole lot more this year, guys. Oh, yes. We've just found out we're probably going to do a little mini episode on some of the stuff that we've heard about from Celebration. We're very excited about all of it. Hopefully we'll have Daniel back for that. You can also check out all the offerings in the Forgotten Entertainment family at ForgottenEntertainment.com. Anders and me and Daniel sometimes are on the Bohemian Geek Studies podcast. Now that we have news that Thrawn's coming, we definitely suggest listening to our Thrawn episode and our Rebels pods. You can also find my Star Wars book reviews, including many books about Thrawn, on BohemianGeekStudies.com. If you're sensing a theme here, it is Thrawn. And of course, join us next time as we continue our coverage for Mando Season 3. Oh, I'm just so excited for this finale. It's going to be great. I'm ready. I'm ready for Rick to just blow us out of the water with these last two episodes. Please, Rick. Please. (laughs) (laughs) Land the plane. Yeah, land the plane. Please. Until then, remember, you can get along with your droid companions, but don't make them do all the work. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody.